Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Thank you, Pastor Harrison, uh, Allison, for that introduction. It wasn't necessary. Um, I was born in a home with a Hindu, and my dad was a Christian. But when my mom fell pregnant, it was out of wedlock, and my aunt, who was the midwife, delivered me. And on the 26th of October, I'm not going to tell you which year because then you'll work out my age. I'm only 28 years old. And on that night when I, my, I was born, I was born blue and still, no life. So my aunt, being the midwife, dumped me in a bucket of hot water, smacked my buttocks, and called the name Lazarus. And uh, I arose out of that water alive. That was the initial. My dad couldn't understand why the name Lazarus, because he wanted to call me Benjamin. But the name Lazarus stood and stuck. If I had to give you my testimony and preach the message I want to do, it'll probably take me five days. And I do it in a five-day seminar, in a conference, wherever I go. And uh, it's, an, it's, it's a faith-shaking I would preach in those five days. But I'm going to capsulize that whole thing in 45 minutes. And if, you, if you're okay to stay a little longer, I don't mind. But I'm going, to, I'm going to share as much as I can to make you understand what makes us as children of God understand why we are placed where we are. Oh, by the way, I sat here and I closed my eyes and I was meditating. Ma'am, you did a fantastic job. You, Beautiful job. Lovely. And I can see you going even higher in what you're going to do in worship because God's got, you've got the heart for worship and God's going to take you there. And while I was sitting here, I visualized this auditorium with chairs in every space around here full with people sitting in it. You're not excited. I'll say that again. I visualized this auditorium with chairs all around and people sitting in it, and it was full. Let me tell you this. When you have a vision and God places you strategically in a place, he will do everything to do his will in that place. But it's going to take you to go out there and do what God's called you to do. Amen? I'm going to stay your faith today and, sh and share what God has done. On the 10th of October, 1996, I was busy working on a church, which is a similar kind of building like this, up on the roof. And I fell through that roof. And I broke my back at T12 and L1. I was stuck between the cinema seats and my coxhead ricocheted and smashed T12 and L1. I stood there holding both the chairs and as I was stuck between the chairs, I just held on to the chairs and the, the strength of my arms kept me up because I was paralyzed from here down. Doc, the paramedics came around, picked me up, rushed me to the nearest hospital. And in that hospital, the doctor that was there, that was looking after me, said to my family that was around me, there will be no hope for me to actually walk again. 
because I had a splintered fracture. You know when you smash your windscreen, how the windscreen shatters? My spinal column was shattered. I went into that hospital in a nutshell. I went in for the first surgery three weeks later. Nothing happened. I was still in a lot of pain. Three months later, I had another surgery. Nothing happened. They got a Godiva bone. You know what a Godiva bone is? A bone that's gone through high heat and incineration, and they kill the bone so that the bone won't grow. They packed my spine with it. I then took sepsis to the fact, and I went in for the third operation on the 10th of October, 1996. At 20 to 9 that night, I was lying on that hospital bed in the surgery, in the, in the op operation theater. The professor that was doing my surgery at the time was an Hindu called Professor Teddy Governor. He was busy operating on me at the time. And right next door to him, as an assistant to that surgery, there was a doctor by the name of uh, Dilma from uh, Sri Lanka. And as, as they started to operate on me, the one doctor that was there assisting, there were three doctors there. The one doctor, while he was doing the surgery with them, he nicked my lung and he punctured my lung. I started to bleed internally. And at 20 to 9 that evening, I flatlined and died on that operating table. And as I lay at that operating table, my spirit left my body. I stood outside of my body. I could see these doctors fighting to try and save me. And on the outside of the church, outside of the, I keep saying the church, outside of the operating theater, my family was out there, and we had about 200 church people in for this very critical surgery. They pushed and pulled and hit me with the paddles. My spirit left my body, and it kept going and going and going, and I went into heaven. Now, let me tell you, heaven is a real place. Don't be fooled. People think that heaven is on earth. Yes, it is. But there is a place called heaven up there that he's preparing for us. And as I got in there, I walked through heaven. And I walked up one set of flight of stairs, walked down a long corridor. I saw people that I buried, that died before, and people that I knew were there standing with, with white robes and wings behind them and waving at me as we got. I could not talk to any one of them. It was like a glass on either side. And I kept walking down the corridor. Went down the first one, went up the second one, went into the third one. And as I got into the third one, I saw these two beautiful doors open and ajar. And there were two angels on the top and two angels at the bottom. And the angels were singing, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. I knew I was in the throne room of God. And as I got closer, the angels blocked me with their wings and wouldn't allow me to go in. Pastor Ellison, the first thought that ran through my head at that time was, He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. But he didn't. I heard this voice, and this voice called out my name and said, Lazarus, Lazarus. And I stood still, and I waited for the next couple of words to come out. He says, I didn't call you. What are you doing here? And as he said that, I was about to turn and walk away. He said, wait, put out your hands. And I put out my hands. And God placed in my hands four gifts. The gift of healing, the gift of deliverance, the gift of prophecy, and the gift of discernment. He says, go back to your people. Don't touch anybody and you pray for them. It was now two hours later while these doctors in that operating theater were trying to resuscitate me. They've done everything. 
But here was a dead body lying. I will come back. Because that's how beautiful heaven was. But two hours later, I came back into my body, and these doctors for the last time took the paddles and stroke it up as high as possible, and they hit me with it, and I popped up in my body. The doctor that was looking at me, I said, Doctor, take me to the church. They were so excited that that Hindu doctor, normally after surgery, but this time he didn't leave that operating theater. He sat outside there until while I was there being resuscitated and plugged with all kinds of machines and keeping me alive. It's ironic that sometimes when you go through these kind of things, you'll sit in the intensive care for at least seven Can you see the similarity? Then they pushed me out of the, up the intensive care into the, for three days. I stayed in the, on the seventh day. They came to me and I went home and I still caught the casket that went home. And I was in so much pain that my wife and my daughters look after me. There's so much more in between all of this that I can tell you because there was something that was happening to me in that hospital that transformed my life. They pushed me in and pushed me home. On the 15th of December that year, I was sitting in my house on a chair inside a room that was created by a room divider that was on the one side and my wardrobes on the one side because as fast as we couldn't afford to own our own home, we lived in a place that I turned a shed, a cow shed into a church as well as my dwelling place. I sat on this chair watching a TV show in my bedroom. The phone in the lounge rang for one minute. It rang for two minutes. It rang for three minutes. It rang for four minutes. It rang for five minutes. It rang for six minutes. It rang for seven minutes. On the eighth minute, that phone rang. And I said, doesn't that person understand there's nobody here to answer that phone? I can't walk and answer it. But on the eighth minute, I got up from that chair. I dragged myself across the room divider. I went into the lounge and I picked up the phone. And I said, hello. It was our missionary on the other side, Maureen Maestri, on the phone. And she said, Pastor, you answered the phone. Then I realized what I did and I collapsed. My wife, being a doctor in gynecology, was working at the nearest hospital, which was about 15 minutes ago, 15 minutes away. How many of you from South Africa here? Do you know the G.J. Crooks Hospital down in, in, in Scottsboro, down the south coast? She worked there, and it takes about 15 minutes to travel from there to my house. It took us seven minutes to get back, because when I put the phone down, I picked the phone up, and I phoned her again. In the meantime, Maureen came back. She ran past me sitting on the floor into my bedroom. Pastor, where are you? Pastor, where are you? Pastor, she walked past me for the second time into the kitchen, into the, into the, into the toilet in the bathroom, came back and said, Pastor, where are you? I said, Maureen, I'm here. She says, what are you doing on the floor? I said, Maureen, I walked. You don't seem to be excited. And then she runs to me and to pick me up. I said, don't touch me. You remember who said that words before? Jesus. He says, don't touch me. I haven't gone to my father yet. I had an experience of the anointing of God that changed my body that day. When the doctor said, they gave me a certificate. And that certificate says, this man will be 100% disabled. On that morning, on the 15th of December, something happened. And my body took complete healing. And that's the reason I stand here, completely healed by the faith that's inside of me. On the 2nd of January, I went back to the hospital. 
I took my wheelchair. I turned it around. I held the handle of the wheelchair and I pushed this wheelchair down the corridor, down a long corridor that had about 13 doctors that were treating patients. And as I walked down that corridor, there was one nurse that was with me through this whole phase. Her name was Sarah. And as she saw me, she started to sing, Fundis, 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 Fundis. She started screaming, Preacher, Preacher, Preacher. And she was jumping and dancing. And she was standing in front of the wheelchair and walking before the, 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 that procession. I walked all the way down to the end of that corridor where the professor had his door open. All these doctors came out. They were standing on that corridor looking at me as I walked down there. The doctor said to me, I would be 100% disabled. I walked up to him. I took the certificate he gave me and I popped it under his nose and I said, you told me I will not walk again. He looked at me, he said to my wife, this man has got the third force. My wife said, it's not the third force, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of him. That doctor sat outside my ward door for nine months every Sunday morning just to listen to me preach from my bed lying flat on my back. I would take my guitar and I would play and I would sing with about 13, 30, 30 to 40 people that were in the ward. And I would be singing and I would be doing worship on my back. That's how much God means to me. I worshipped him as a quadriplegic lying on that bed. That doctor... He's now dead three years. Just before he died, he sent me a notice and he said to me, your experience that in that hospital ward made me become a child of God and become a Christian. I've traveled the world. I've seen God heal people. The biggest healing of all was two people that were dead, physically dead, certified dead. They're alive today. There's one man that's owning a business down in Krugersdorp. It's called an exhaust company. His name is Henny van der Steen. He's alive. He was lying at the Florida hospital, dead, when they called for me and said, would you come and pray for this man? We'd like to take him out and go and bury his body. I walked in there on the Wednesday and I said to the doctor, don't switch that machine off because this man is sleeping. He'll come alive. On the Saturday morning, I went back into the hospital. There was, there was three doctors there. One was a neurosurgeon, one was a pulmonary surgeon, and the other one was, I don't know what surgeon. And then you got Dr. Naidu that walks in, dressed up all smart and, and looking really snazzy that morning. The doctor said, what's your profession? I said, no, we won't discuss that right now. Let's talk about what God's going to do. He said, what, I beg your pardon? This man's dead. I said, no, he's not. He'll be waking on Saturday morning. He'll be up sitting on the chair. And when I got there on Saturday morning, Henny Stain was sitting on the chair with no top on and twiddling his thumbs. And he said, Pastor, I'm so glad you came to see me. He's still alive. We were doing a conference with about 500 people in a tent in an Indian village. I'd finished preaching and I was praying for this line of people. It must have been 30 or 40 people. I was sopping, wet with perspiration, but I kept praying. And then all of a sudden, as I got to the last, second last person, this woman runs in. Please come quickly. Please, please come quickly. It was a Hindu. Her son had just died just down the street from where we had had the conference. I went down there and I saw this child lying on the floor. 
with blankets all around him and a box of mud. And I said, what's that for? She said, no, if, 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 if there's some kind of resemblance of, of three pieces of a footmark or, or something like that, that's what he'll come back as. I said, no, no, he's going to come back just as he is. The mother looked at me and said to me, what do you mean? I said, this boy is sleeping. He's not dead. I took a glass of water. I prayed over it and I said to God, I want you to resurrect this child, Lord. And I gave this boy. I said to him, now get up, son. This boy was lying there for about just over two hours. All of a sudden, he got up and sat up. And he drank the water. He is now 29 years old, a father of two children, and he's alive. Now, I can speak to you about so many other faith healings that God has taken place, but I'm going to speak to you. On Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, which was my anchor, through all of this experience that I had. It says, now faith. I said, would you say this with me? Now. Oh, oh. I know it's lunchtime. It'll get there just now. Let's start again. I said, now. When you're sitting in India with me and I'm preaching like this and I say now, there's about 5,000 people. You'll think there's 10,000 people screaming now because that's how desperate they are. I want you to say it with me. Now. That's better. Now faith is the substance of the things hoped for. Now let me ask you this. What is faith? You ask anybody. Go and just do it. Ask anybody what is faith. Oh, faith is confidence. Faith is knowing that something is going to happen. Faith is this. Faith is that. Faith is this. Faith is that. For me, faith is believing 110% in God. Ooh. Let me say that again. I said, faith is believing 110% in God. We're getting there. I said, faith is believing 110% in God. Ah, now I got you. Now, if you are believing so much in God for faith, then why is it so hard for us to find faith in the church? What causes us not to have faith in God? Pastor, I lack faith. How do you know that you lack faith? What measurement did you have? Because when you go to the doctor, they put something in your ears and say, your temperature is 39.8 degrees. How does that machine know that you've got 39.9 degrees? There's a technology that goes into your ears and tells you your temperature. What gauge did you use to find out your gauge of faith? What? Strange, isn't it? But you say, Pastor, I don't know if I've got faith. I'm not sure. But you believed, isn't it? Now, the strange thing of it is all, when God gives us faith, he gave every one of us an equal measure of faith. Hello? Isn't that right? Hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six people. I said, God gives every one of us an equal measure of faith. Isn't that right? Then how do you know that you lack faith? Where, Where did you lose it? Where did you leave it? I'm 68 years old, and sometimes I forget where I leave things. And my granddaughter, who's seven years old, says, Pastor, there's something going wrong with your brains. I said, no, girl, there's nothing wrong with it. I believe that I'm 100% okay. (laughs) 
How many of you walked into the church this morning? You picked this chair up. You had a good look that it's screwed on properly. It's welded properly. And made sure that the plastic is not cracked. And you plonked your 80 kilograms, your 79 kilograms, your 120 kilograms. You just plonked it on the chair. How many of you checked it? Come on, help me. Sorry? Why? Because you had faith that when you sat on that chair, it's going to hold you. Isn't that right? Isn't that correct? Isn't it? Strange, isn't it? You don't know who built that chair. You don't know whether he made a mistake. But hey, I'm comfortable. How many of you drive motor cars? All of you, isn't it? How many of you get up in the morning, you jack your car up, pull the four wheels out, open the drums, and have a look and see the rubber that's there to hold the brakes? How many of you check it's there? Why? You got faith in four pieces of rubber that when you press the brakes, the car is going to stop. Isn't that right? Why is it when it comes to God, you don't have the same faith? Help me this morning. Why? I don't think it's disappointment. So what makes us be careful with our faith? How do you know it didn't happen? Because God works in mysterious ways. It might not happen now, but it'll take a couple of days before that healing takes place. Because my God is preparing you for something that he's sending your way. Amen? Amen? How many of you go to the doctor? You go to the doctor, doctor? I don't know what's wrong with me. The doctor said, tell me more. You open your mouth, you tell the doctor everything what's wrong. Your stomach is twisting this way, your body is twisting that way. You've got arthritis in the joints. And the doctor says, take two tablets and go home. But you've got faith in the doctor telling you to take two tablets. But you told the doctor what's wrong with you. Come on. Isn't that right? And the doctor is making a killing, $80 a trip, everybody that goes there. Just making money. And you're telling him what's wrong. What's wrong with the church? It doesn't believe in a God that heals, delivers, and sets free. But when we pray, we become so skeptical, Pastor. I'm not sure whether this is going to happen. I was in a shopping center once, buying some clothing. I was standing at the, at the, at the, at the trousers rack, and I was leaning over like this. And a professor from the... From the University of Pretoria came in to buy some clothing and his wife that was suffering with her hand for many, many years. The doctor said that she would live like that because of her position. And as I leaned against trousers, this lady walked past and she brushed herself over me. Automatically her hand shot out. And she screamed. Her husband left the counter where he was talking to the owner of the business, came to me and said to me, what did you do to my wife? I said, I didn't touch her, sir. I said, I believe that I have faith that God's just healed your wife. I didn't even know what was wrong with her. You see, when you have faith, you need to see the evidence of the healing taking place. The doctor said, 100% disabled. 100%. I still got the certificate. I'm looking for a gold frame to frame it. 
But you know what? I sat on that wheelchair. Now, you're going to think that this is a controversial statement that I'm going to make. I had a fight with God. I had an argument with God. I screamed at the ceiling. My daughter sitting in the other room comes running. She said, Dad, you can't do that. You can't talk to God like that. I told her, girl, let me tell you something. I know my Bible. That's why this one looks like it's falling to pieces because I never stopped reading it. I said, I know my Bible. My Bible says, put me to the test. Prove me, my God says. Taste of me and see that I am good. That's what he says. I said, where is he now? Why isn't he proving himself to me? I had this argument with God. Not realizing that God was preparing me for a miracle that was about to take place. Amen? You see, when we want to have a baby, we go to the microwave and press the button and think that in 30 seconds we're going to have a baby. I thought that was humorous. <laughs> hey, microwave, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't happen, does it? It takes nine months. For that process to, to take place. You see, when you become a child of God, God gives you a measure of faith. And he says, stir up that faith. Stir up that faith. How do I stir the faith? By studying my Bible and believing on the scriptures that God gave me. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, <clears throat> let me get that. All things work together for God. That's, yeah, all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, if that is true, the faith that I have in me must work for my good, isn't it? Hello? Come and help me to preach because it's a long sermon. I think I'll finish at about 4 o'clock. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, sir. Now, when that faith is stirred up, I'm believing that whatever I pray for, some of you, some of you are sitting out here, you are financially fighting a battle. Some of you are sitting here, you're fighting marriage through the, 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 through, the, through the vines that you're fighting through. Your children, you're fighting for your children. You are fighting with the things that, and all of those things come to one thing. My faith is anchored in Christ. How many of you believe that we're going through a financial crisis? I've got news for you, ma'am. We don't have a financial crisis. No, my finances come from Christ. My finances come from Christ, not from this government out here. So why am I banking on what this government is going to do? And let me say this to you. We don't have enough people with faith to change what this government is doing. Where's the lady that did the praise and worship? What was that song about the mountains? If faith can move a mountain, then let the mountain move, isn't it? If faith can move a mountain, let the mountain move. You go blue in your face, spring. God, I'm believing you, God, that you're going to move this mountain today. Today, God, you're going to move it. You open your eyes. I thought so. You'll never move. That's how we pray. I don't pray like that, unfortunately. I walked into a house once. And four of the people in that house were demon-possessed. And they go to church. Surprise, surprise. They come to church on Sunday morning demon-possessed. Go home, they're still demon-possessed. Then the pastor called me and said to me, Pastor, would you come and help us? We've got a problem. And this is where I find it a little bit tough 
that a pastor from the church did not discern that those people were demon-possessed. She would scream in the time of worship. Oh, she's anointed. She's carrying such a beautiful anointing. But he couldn't discern that it was a demonic spirit screaming out of this woman. So somebody that heard me preach at another NG church, which is a Dutch Reformed church, saw the miracles that took place in that church, went to this pastor and said, call the pastor to pray for that lady. I think she's sick. So we got to her house. And as I walked in there, I had so much of faith in me, and I believed that this house was going to turn inside out. And I sat down, had a cup of tea. You know why I like to have tea, Pastor? Let me tell you, five minutes for us to have a conversation and leave. But with tea, it takes 15 to 20 minutes for me to tea. 15 to 20 minutes. I tell this person everything I want to know about God. Opportunity when the door opens, don't close it. Don't enter your house because I might even sit down for dinner. I walked into this house full of faith because I trusted God to do something. The lady that was demon-possessed didn't want to come out. And immediately I knew, boom, there's the problem. Husband came, the son came, the daughter came and sat and we spoke. I prayed for them and I said, I'll deal with you later. I said, get your mother here. And she came out. She said, don't you dare come near me. I said, why? She says, I'm fearful. Of what I see. I said, well, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit black because I'm an Indian. Is that why you're fearful? No, I don't think so. I said, you're fearful of what you see inside of me. You see, when you have faith, you become a different person. Hello? I'm going to say that a little bit softer because I don't want the outside world to know. This is a secret. Don't lose it. What's your name, brother? Clayton. Clayton, don't lose what I'm going to tell you. What you got inside of you is unique. Because when that faith comes up, it's like light that burns from the inside, and you can see it glow through the person. Thank you, sir. I said, when you've got faith inside of you, you will glow, and you will blow like something. And people will say, what is different about this person? You know, when I met your pastor for the first time last two weeks ago on a Sunday night, I immediately knew that there was something that she was carrying that was unique. Because when you have faith and believe in God, you become different. This demonic spirit started to perform. I said to him, Satan, I'm going to talk to you just once and I want you to leave. Otherwise, I'm going to use my feet. I'm going to either boot you out or I'm going to tramp your head. She fell to the floor and she wriggled like a snake. And let me tell you this. Sir, would you come out here, please? Just one moment, you. Not that you're a female, but I'm going to use your body stature. Would you turn around, please? What's your name? Alan, thank you so much. See his stature? This lady was built like that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I'll send the check later. Now she fell down on the floor and started to wriggle like a snake. She went round and round, wriggled around the furniture, all around the furniture. And then she went into the toilet. Now, let me tell you something else. If you're a plumber... I said to the test of the devil, I said, devil, you've got another two minutes to get out. She came out from that toilet, wriggled out through the door, went out through the front door, went to the gate, and she dropped. And Satan left, and this woman got up. She says, what am I doing in the street? And she came back to herself. You see, when faith inside of you, the things that you don't want to see, you can see it. Hello? 
I met this man, you know, so many years ago. He was such an angel. Now he's a devil. Whoa, hold on. Take a step back. What's changed? You lost your faith and confidence in him. You lost your trust in him. You lost your belief in him. Go back to the place where you believed in God when you saw that person. And say to God, I want you to change my marriage around. I'll promise you. I'll write this down if I have to. God will turn it around if your faith is built and strong and anchored in God. The things that I don't see, I can now see happening. The evidence of the things not yet seen. I can't see this happening, Pastor. We've been to counseling and it's not working. Because you haven't been to the best counselor yet. His name is Jesus. He will change it. I said he will change it. You got financial problems. You don't tithe in the church and you're thinking God's going to give you. You go with the ATM card to the bank and you're believing money is going to come out. And it doesn't because you haven't banked in the best bank in the world. And that's the church. Do you know what it costs me every month just to maintain the world global missions with pastors, orphanages, and people that are desperate for funds? We have people from time to time. This young man is one of them that helps us to contribute towards getting our people fed in, in different parts of the world. In Oman, in the state of a Muslim state where there are sheiks running it, the man comes up to me and he says to me, I believe you're doing good for our country. I said, well, that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to take your money or to do anything else. I want to do something for the poor. And let me tell you something else. There are Muslims in the, in, in the, in the state of Oman that are desperately looking for help. They gave us a Catholic church that was standing empty. And that's where we currently have our meetings. And you know what? He went one step further. He told his financial people to support this organization with food so that we could feed his people. Are you listening to me, people? When you have faith and you walk into a strange country, your faith turns inside out because something inside of you glows out. We were in, in Nigeria, flying out of Nigeria back to South Africa, and this air hostess was, <laughs> she played a prank with everybody. We're sitting in this airplane ready to go. The doors closed. And she brings this pilot out with dark glasses on, with his suit on and a white stick. <laughs> <laughs> He walked up and he walked down with his stick. She said, this is going to be our pilot taking us back to South Africa. <laughs> Some people were screaming, open the door. I want to jump out. Open the door. I can't sit here. My life is going to go in this airplane. Every one of us, we are sitting in an airplane. And the world is piloting us with blindness, with a white stick and guiding us to no direction. Your faith should become one that would believe that the God that has placed men and women that are in the church to lead the church into a place of a destiny that will change you. Let me tell you something. The church is the only place where we have foresight to see what's going to come. Because the Bible says the king is coming and he's coming on the clouds of glory. And if we don't have faith and believe in it, you and I are not going to get caught in it. I keep saying to my children, I don't want to be here. I want to go back to where I saw that beautiful pastor. It is magnificent. The singing. I've never heard singing. like. No wonder I can't shut my mouth when I sing. I'll raise my voice and sing because I get so excited when I start to sing. How about you? You've been suffering with the disease for years. The doctor says, uh, there's no cure for you. Take this tablet and take it four times a week or four times a day. 
And as long as you keep the tablet, you'll be fine. And you're walking around like a zombie because the tablet made you drugged. I got a tablet that's 66 tablets. And every time you open one of those tablets and you read one or two lines of it, those tablets changes your life and it's called the Bible. It's the best tablet you can ever take. And let me tell you something else. The world is turning on its head. There are Hindus running in the thousands back to the church because they find something in the medication anyone can ever take. Amen? But I just felt in my heart you needed to hear something that was different. To support Aldi. Sorry, I can't hear you. It says what? What's good and what's different about this church? Sorry? Did you tell your neighbor? Have you told the people that you're working with? We've got a church that's good, different. What's different about it? Oh, we've got Jesus now, church. I was down and uh, I have the free liberty to travel anywhere in the world with this to do because they want my services. I said, if you want my services, I want those times to do these things and that's fine. So I went down to Kelly and I was sitting in one of the restaurants and this Young lady came to serve me. She came to serve me breakfast. And as she was serving me breakfast, I said to her, what's your name? She says, no, I'm not Philippine. She says, how do you know? I said, you can see it in your face. I said, why are you crying? She says, you know, I've been here for five years. I've applied for my visa. And every time they turned me down, the visa, which is the 190 visa, I'm not sure whether I'm going to get it. I said, do you go to church? She says, yes, I go. I said, do you believe that God can give you the visa? She says, well, for five years it didn't happen. Oh, stop, 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 stop. The power you say, you will receive. I told God I want my legs. And I got it. Does this guy look like a quadruple? Right? Quadriplegic. Tubes coming out tubes coming out there. I was like an astronaut. Sitting on an airplane ready to go, but I couldn't anywhere because my feet was gone. But my immovable faith. You could come and do what you want. Pastor, we had pastors from the, the minister president drop. Come and sit with me. Why don't you sign at the government to get some grant? I said, my shoes cost more than the grant that I'm going to get from the government in South Africa. I think it's 300 or 400 rands. That's less than $40. My shoe on my feet cost me $220. You're telling me that you're going to live on $40? Give me a break, I told them. I told this pastor, don't pray for me because I don't believe that you're going to pray with believing what I am. And let me tell you something else. I stood on my faith and I said, God, I want my feet back. There was a black lady that walked into our church. Excuse me using this because it makes reference. I've got to give reference to what I'm saying. She walked into our church and I was doing this conference. And I preached a message on what you speak out of your mouth, you will receive. Are you listening to me? I said, what you speak out of your mouth, that you will receive. Now, pastor, you're speaking a prosperity gospel. No, nonsense. That's not the prosperity gospel. It's what God told me. He says, ask and you shall. Sorry, I can't hear you. I said, ask. And he said, seek. Knock. Now, if you're not going to seek, and if you're not going to knock, don't ask. Hello? Don't ask. God, I'm begging you, Lord, that you'll do something for my son. Did you go, did you go and see your son? Did you go and check on him? Did you go and find out what's going on with him? Did you open doors to find out how you can help that boy? Hello? Why are you so quiet? Am I tramping toes? Unfortunately, that's the truth, Pastor. We asked God, but did we go and check? Oh, God, I'm praying. I'm praying, God, that you're going to find me a new job. And you sit in your office and you...
cursing this boss. You're doing everything to make it bitter. But you're not realizing that man's putting food on your table instead of going and looking for another job. Hello? The job's not going to come and fall on your lap. You're crying for healing. You know, my, my, my mother died from the similar kind of disease, you know. We prayed and prayed. Our church came and prayed. We had Thanksgiving service after Thanksgiving service. But my mother died from that same disease. What encouragement is that? If you learn anything today, keep shut your mouth if you're not going to give somebody a good word. And then when you open your mouth and pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm trusting that. Are you really trusting after giving that person that negative vibe? The power of the tongue, it activates your faith. Now, faith, not faith to come. Pastor, I'm waiting for God to fill my faith. I'm waiting for God to fill my faith. You know, I, I did a demonstration once in one church, and I, I took a glass of water like this, and I started to stir that with a little stirrer. Are you listening? The cup was half full, and I started to stir. And as I stirred with the speed of my stirring, the water in that cup started to rise and rise and rise, and it started to come out. The people thought I was a magician. I said, no, I'm not. I said, look, there's still water in the cup. But the more I stirred it, the more the water rose. The more I stirred it, the more the water rose. The more I stirred it, the more the water rose. And the more I spoke into that cup, the more the water wanted to come out. Let me tell you something else. Your faith will become so contagious, other people want to get it too. Everybody walking around with masks. Don't come near me. I got COVID. I got COVID. I tell them, I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus. Come and take some. What time do we stop, Pastor? Can I have another 10 minutes? Thank you. <laughs> I was asleep one night, fast asleep. I lived in Johannesburg, but there was a border between Johannesburg and, 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 and Malawi, Botswana. And uh, you had to, the only time that border opens is at 8 o'clock in the morning and it closes at 5. You can't go through otherwise. 3 o'clock that morning, I get this phone call and this phone rings and we had a pastor there that was pastoring one of our churches that we planted in Botswana. And his name was um, um, Henny, uh, Jack Van Royen. Jack was there and, and, and he went to the, to the, to the house of the, the, the president because they called the church to come and pray for his granddaughter that was lying in the intensive care of the hospital. The doctor said she's going to die. They're going to take the machines off and please come and see this child. She was still breathing, but very critical. I think she was 11, 12 years old. I thought to myself, why would the president phone me at 3 o'clock in the morning? I look at the number, it's Botswana. And I said, Henny, is this you? You're playing a prank on me. He says, no, no, this is not Henny. <laughs> no, this is not, this is not him. No, this is the president of Botswana. I said, is that Festus Makai? Real, in real person? Yes, this is Festus Makai. And I said to him, but why are you calling me? Why don't you call a doctor? He says, well, the doctors have given up. The only hope I got is Jesus, he said. This is the, the president of the country. I put the phone down. I said to my wife, I just had a strange call. She said, what's that? I said, Festus Mokai, the president of, of, of Botswana just called me. She says, are you smoking something? I said, I'm sleeping next to you. What did I smoke? 
So I get up, get dressed. It takes about three hours to get to the border. I got in my car and I drove. Now I'm thinking, hang on a sec, is this not somebody's prank? I'll tell you about another prank just now where somebody tried to come and kill me. And I got to the border. There was a Rolls Royce sitting outside the, outside the border. He said, no, you jump into that car, we'll drive your car and we'll take you out there. No passports, nothing checked and I drove through. Went through to the president's house. It was now close to seven in the morning. I get out there, he says to me, don't jump off the car, I'm coming with you. So he jumps into the Rolls Royce and I'm, I said, sir, nice to meet you. He says, I know it's a very strange way to meet you, but I'm glad that you've come. Thank you very much. I've heard some stuff about you that I want you to come with me. I said, no problem. We get there. We get into the hospital. He's got five guards in front of him, five guards behind him. Him and I are walking like kings, walking into, the, into this hospital. Let me tell you something else. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are treated royalty. You know why you're treated royalty? Because you are peculiar. You're of a royal priesthood. You are of a different generation. And let me tell you something. When you start to walk in faith, others start to respect you because they see God in you. I walked through. They took me straight through the intensive care and here was this little child standing there. They got five guards standing this side, five guards standing that side. The door opens, we walk inside. Four nurses come with us. I said, ma'am, would you leave please? Let me tell you why I get rid of people that are standing around us when I'm about to pray. Because one person that has a doubt hinders somebody else from receiving their blessing. So I asked them to move. No, no, no. The protocol. I said, don't worry about the protocol. Jesus gave me another call. I said, you please stand one side. So they, I pushed them one side out, out of the door. I said to this girl, Nalini, Nalini, get up. She got up from the bed. All of these machines on her. And I said, how are you feeling? She said, I don't know what happened, but the moment you called my name, I saw a bright cloud, and I want to go home. One hour later, they discharged her. She's still alive and living in Botswana. When you have power in the tongue, God finds you favor. I said, did you hear what I said? God finds you favor. I started working for this company on October last year. October, November, December, I was called into the office. The general manager says to me, I'm just impressed in the way you do things. I said, I said, that's my job. That's what you're paying me for. He says, no, I'm changing it. I said, what are you changing it to? He says, um, I'm going to make you something else. I'm going to give you a position which is going to be business development manager countrywide. Are you listening? Countrywide. I said, in other words, you're telling me that I've got to travel? He says, yes. I said, okay. I said, but uh, what about the package? He says, you nominated the power of the tongue. That's a dangerous position to be, especially when I'm a believer the way I am. And I put the boot in. He says, no problem. He signed it. Why am I sharing that with you? When you have power in the tongue, when you walk in front of your boss, don't, don't stand there with jelly knees and think, I don't know what he's going to do. You tell him exactly what your worth is. Because you are valuable. You're of a royal priesthood. You're of a peculiar generation. There's something our issue is. We complain, complain, work for the complaints. You know where it is? At the airport. Complain, complain, complain. It's the only place that you can complain about anything at the complaints department. Because that's where they work for the complaints. Complain, complain. Don't complain about things that you can't act really activate in your own life. Because you don't have confidence that you can get it.
We were sitting at the New Year's Eve party with my son-in-law. And I saw this advert in the, in, the, in the Facebook. And I said to him, I'd love to get this car. That night, we have a 12 o'clock prayer meeting. And I started to pray. And I said, God, I want this car. I said, please, God, make it possible that I get this car. Come with me and see outside. We've got the car parked out there. It's an E250 Mercedes-Benz. Now you're looking, hang on a moment. Does God give you those kind of gifts? Where's your faith? Hello? Where's your faith? How many of you are still renting and believing that God's going to give you a house, but you don't tithe in the church? You don't become somebody that's involved in what God wants you to call? Let me say this to you. Step up. And start doing what God wants you to do. And I promise you, you will find the opportunity to find the funds to buy a house and go and live on it. Because that's what God wants you to do. He says, I know the thoughts I have for you in, Je in Jeremiah. Not to harm you, but to what? To prosper you. Oh, they've got such a beautiful house. They've got such a lovely car. But they don't even go to church. How is it possible that they are blessed? I believe we are a blessed generation. Are you listening? I'm going to take the next half an hour and pray for you if that's okay with you. I'll pray for every one of you if I have to. But if we do a corporate prayer, I'll just pray for you and you leave. But you won't understand what it's all about. But I'd like to pray for every one of you. And I promise you one thing. I will not touch you. I won't touch you. Because God gave me that command. He said, don't touch anybody. I've seen cancer fall. A lady walked into church with both her breasts sopping from cancer. She was embarrassed because she had three or four linger. In the heat of that summer, she was standing in front. And not to embarrass her, I said to her, right now, I see healing taking place. I see both those breasts falling off. Her eyes opened up. She says, Pastor, I'm in fire. Something is burning. Something is burning. I said, nothing is burning, sweetheart. The cancer is dying with the heat of the blood of Christ. She went home, driven something like two hours to her house. She was in the shower when she had the phone with one hand standing out of the shower and screaming, I've got brand new breasts. I've just been healed. Two weeks ago on a Sunday, we were preaching at Grace Life in Wengara. An old lady came forward with pain in her back. After I prayed for her, she went and she stood on top of the chair and she started screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Pastor Josh, you're a wonderful servant of God. What a man of God he is. Came back and told me, Pastor, there's been such dramatic changes in people's lives because of the faith that you've stirred inside of them. Listen, I've got nothing. I'm no different than you. I make mistakes. I fail and fall. My son-in-law is here. He'll tell you that. I sometimes get angry. But you know what? I'm just the message carrier. I'm the host pipe. I get connected. The power of God comes down and he showers. How many of you are going through financial battles this morning? Don't put your hands up. How many of you are going through marital problems and you don't know what to do? How many of you are fighting things that you really don't know how to handle? Would you stand, bow your heads and close your eyes? Where's the gentleman that played the piano? Sir, would you go up there and just strike those keys and just play along? You played a fantastic job this morning. Well done. I think there's more of you seated here. You don't sit down. If you, if, if you need this, stand up and come join me, please. Thank you, God. I'm going to ask young David here. 
and my son-in-law to come and join me as we pray for you. Just in case you do fall over, they're going to hold you. Have you got somebody else in the church that does that, ma'am? Please, if they can come. Come, come, step forward, sir. Step forward. Come, step forward. Come. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel... Listen, this is not... If I was writing a $10,000 check, you all would be standing up and running to the front. But I don't have $10,000. What I do have is the blessings of God for you. Please don't leave. If you are in the church, stick around, come talk to me, and I'll pray with you. But I won't pray for you after I've done this altar call. All right? I'd love for you to come now. Bless you, Lord. You know the song, I am a healer? Brother, do you know the song, I am the Lord that healeth thee? All right, doesn't matter. Or would you step forward? Step forward. Come forward, ma'am. I don't bite. I don't bite. Come. Come, sir. Come. Oh, my God. Something good's going to happen this morning. And can I ask you to do one thing before you leave? Would you go and tell somebody else to come to this church? Something happened. Not, not just today, but every day. Every Sunday, something happens in this place. Don't be selfish. Go and share it. Bring somebody. Alright? I'm sure you've got friends. Saturday night with a nightclub sitting and having beers and having a chat and the friend next to you says, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get this sorted out. Invite him to church. You've got friends in your group. Bring them. Come on. And I can tell you now, six months from now, this church is going to be too small if every one of us do our job. Amen? How long have you been pushing that wheelchair around, ma'am? What did the doctor tell you? Just tell me in a nutshell what is wrong. On your hip? Close your eyes. Lift your hands up. You're standing behind us, sir? Thank you. What's your Joyce, Joyce, I see something happening with you right now. Close your eyes, lift your hand up. You're going to feel a breeze, and that breeze is going to touch you. There we go. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can you feel that? Yes, 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 yes. Touch, Lord. I'm not touching you, but you can feel a hand running through your body. Can you feel that? Look at me. I want you to go home. Push that wheelchair one side. And walk by faith. God bless you. Amen. What are we praying for, sir? My wife. What's wrong? I want you to take a glass of water. Or better still, get a Coke bottle. You know the two-liter Coke bottle? Now, I'm going to say this to quite a few of you. Don't think this is something in this Coke bottle or in the water. There's a gentleman that's in Brisbane. Eight years ago, the doctors told him he will die of cancer. I went to a Christmas function. We were all sitting in this restaurant. And this guy was sitting on the one corner just drinking Coke and looking very down. And my boss walked up to me and said to me, Lazarus, 
the guy in the corner works for us in the sales department and he's got cancer, he's going to die. I said to him, no, he's not going to die. My boss looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, he'll live. I go up to him, his wife, his sister-in-law and a couple of other people were all standing around. And I said to him, do you mind if I prayed for you? He says, yeah. I said, what's wrong? He says, I've got cancer. I said, no. I said, stop. I said, I want you to stop now saying I've got cancer. The problem with us, we said, I've got arthritis, I've got back pain, I've got headache, I've got... You own it. That's why you own it. Get rid of it this morning. Don't talk about it. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. That's what I need you to say. And I prayed for him. I told him, go home, take a bottle of water, a Coke bottle of water. I'll show you pictures on my phone. Every month he sends me a picture. I've just refilled the bottle. I've refilled the bottle. I've refilled the bottle. He's been doing it for eight years. And the doctors cannot find out where the cancer went to. He didn't go for all the treatments, the technical treatments, the chemical treatments. He did not go. He believed in that bottle of water. And today he's still alive. I want you to go home and do the same thing to your wife. You put your hand over the bottle and you pray over it and say, Father, like the man of God said that you're going to turn this into your blood, I want you to turn it into your blood and let your wife start drinking it. In three months' time, I'd like you to come back and tell Pastor Allison what happened and how God's changed her. Lift your hands up. Close your eyes, sir. You believe that? How much do you believe it? There we go. Right. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for this young man's wife. I pray, God, that sickness dies today. Now, faith is the evidence of the things I'm already seeing you're doing in her life. In Jesus' life. I pray, God, right now that you will touch. In Jesus' name. God bless, brother. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.